Hi, my name is Andrea Jansen, and I am on a mission to help people be ambitious at work every single day. That means you're fulfilled, you're productive, and you're contributing to your company. I'm a certified executive coach that has an MBA, a diversity consultant, a Forbes contributor, a business leader, a wife, and a mother of three. This podcast is about tackling hard topics like the gender gap in the workplace. It's about asking the questions that everybody's thinking about, but doesn't want to say out loud. Each episode is like the sweet spot between motivation and tactical strategies to get you ahead. We get out of our comfort zones and we take action. This is where we learn, grow, and create opportunities. Welcome to the Ambition Theory Podcast. Nicknamed the Negotiator as a child, Fotini Iconomopoulos has been negotiating deals her entire life. She's a sought-after expert who empowers Fortune 500 executives and their teams to get what they want and make more money. In this interview, Fotini shares her simple and innovative strategies, debunks common negotiation myths, and explains why effective negotiation does not follow a one-size-fits-all approach. Fotini is the author of the book, Say Less, Get More, Unconventional Negotiation Techniques to Get What You Want. This is the second time Fotini has been on the podcast, and I know for sure that multiple listeners have used the techniques from her first interview to negotiate higher salaries and make better deals for their companies. I learned a ton from this interview, and I hope you do too. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to tell you about the Ambition Theory community, which is our brand new monthly membership program that supports leaders all over the world to advance their leadership capacity. It includes professional coaching and access to thought leaders like Fotini, who you're going to hear in this episode. The best part is that you'll be surrounded by people who are trying to achieve the same level of success that you are because you can't solve your company's toughest problems on your own. To join the community, go to ambitiontheory.ca. Hi, Fotini. Thank you so much for coming on the Ambition Theory podcast. We are so excited to have you here live in our community and back in, I have to say, Fotini, you are a fan favorite in our <laughs> inside our community. Um, truthfully, we've had, I think, at least five people listen to that first interview we did back in 2019. I think it was episode very early on in uh, my podcasting career. Um, and probably five people have listened to it, taken notes and used your strategies to get raises, negotiate better contracts, and we are thrilled to have you back. So can you take a minute and introduce yourself and tell us all about what you're up to these days? Well, thank you for having me back. It makes me so happy to hear that people are actually implementing the things that I talk about. I love hearing success stories and hearing about them. Um, So for those who don't know what I do, I am a negotiation consultant, which means companies hire me to teach teach their teams how to be more effective negotiators when they're getting beaten up by global retailers or there's a lot of millions of dollars on the line. Um, I coach them through those high stakes negotiations But a lot of my time now goes towards keynotes and speaking to more general audiences about how to get more out of life as well as how to get more out of business. 
Um, I finished writing a book a year ago that is finally hitting shelves in the next few weeks called Say Less, Get More. And it is meant to be provocative. It is unconventional negotiation techniques to get what you want. So I talk a lot about saying less to get more in life and saying less to get more in business. Um, and it brings me so much joy to bring this book to life because it's full of so many of those success stories that we talked about earlier and that, that I, people keep sending me. Um, like I said, it just makes me immensely happy to be able to give it to more people so that they can get more for themselves. Okay. So interesting. I have a question for you, Fotini, about how you got into this. Cause you said, I know your backstory is you worked at Wal. No, you were a supplier for Walmart and you were, you got kind of got started into negotiating, getting these big brands into Walmart. So tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, so I did an MBA in organization behavior, and I was recruited into the corporate world um, with a company called L'Oreal. And after that, I worked for another food company. And at each of those roles, I was the one that was negotiating with Walmart on a regular basis. And so I was quite young doing it at the time. And uh, I really enjoyed it. Like I enjoyed building the relationships. I had a great relationship with my buyers. I still keep in touch with some of them today, more than a decade later. And then I was working for a company who had hired this negotiation training company to teach us to be better negotiators. And they went, you should really be doing what we do. And I was like, yeah, sure. Someday when I've got more experience. And they said, no, seriously, you should be doing what we do. And so they hired me and I started working for this company that had me traveling all over the world, training everybody from junior account managers to the CEOs of large um, billion dollar oil and gas companies. And then that kind of evolved into, all right, it's great that you trained our team, but we have a hundred million on the line. We have a billion on the line. What do we do? What do we say? And so that kind of became a consulting practice within the practice. And so I spent a lot of my time in executive boardrooms working on their real life strategies and coaching these C-suite executives through you know, high stakes negotiations. And then at some point I decided that I needed to you know, change. Uh, I quit that job. And then the clients kept calling and they went, when are you going to come back and work with us? And I said, I, I don't work for that company anymore. And they said, we didn't hire the company. We hired Fotini. So um, I had built such great relationships with my clients that I was like, okay, fine. I'll do this thing for you until I have to get a real job. And I thought I was just doing a few clients turned friends favors. And, you know, I think it's been six or seven years now. And I can finally admit that it's a real job um, and it's evolved into something quite uh, rewarding. Okay, I want to talk about the evolution because I've noticed and we are we've never met in real life, but we're friends on LinkedIn and Instagram. <laughs> yeah. I've noticed that kind of you started in these high stakes negotiations, right? Where it's like a big deal, it's a big business deal, it's like lots of lots of things on are at stake. But I've watched your evolution from the big negotiation to negotiation being a way of life. So tell me how this evolution came about. I'm so curious. It was really organic. It was, I I mean, I love talking to people. I love answering questions. And what, like I said, when I quit my previous job, people kept reaching out to me, not because I was boasting about my accomplishments or giving people crazy discounts. It was because I spent time getting to know them. I learned all about their families and the challenges that they were facing at work and at home. And they just went, we like you. We like dealing with you. And the more I learned about them, the more we started having conversations about things that were outside of the boardroom as well. So someone would talk to me about a divorce and somebody else would talk to me about their kids that was that were driving them nuts. And someone else 
was saying, I'm having a challenge with my manager. How do I deal with that? And so it this kind of just came up from organic conversations. And then from there, somebody said, tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, can you come speak at our national sales conference? And then it was like, oh, okay, sure. I'll do that. I've never been a speaker. I guess I'll charge you my consulting fee and I'll show up for a day and, sh- and speak at your conference. And then it was somebody else reaching out, Googling saying, oh, well, we were looking for someone to talk to us at Lean in Canada about negotiations and we Googled and you came up and you're a woman. So how awesome is that? Um, so I think what started to happen was I was I was sharing information on, on LinkedIn, for example. That was my tool to stay in touch with all of my clients because I think you all know in the corporate world, people move and you'll get a bounce back from their email saying they're no longer at that company. So LinkedIn was a really great way for me to just stay in touch with some of these folks that I knew at some point would change companies. And when I read an interesting article about negotiation, I would share it there or I would share some nugget that I came across. And so I, for me, it was how do I help my community, these people that I've trained and these people that I've spent time in boardrooms with, keep these skills nice and um, at the front of their minds. And then as I started sharing that stuff, more people started asking to connect with me on LinkedIn, people I'd never met before. Because at first for me, LinkedIn used to be, well, if I don't know you, why would I connect with you? Now it's, yeah, the more the merrier. You want to know what's going on. You want to hear some of these nuggets of, of information that have been useful to others, by all means. And because of that, I actually had someone reach out over five years ago now, I think six years ago, someone from my MBA community, a professor at the Schulich School of Business, where um, I did my MBA and he reached out and said, you've got a really interesting profile and I've noticed what you're putting out there. Do you want to meet for a coffee? And it turned out he taught MBA negotiations there. So we had a great chat and we were on the same page about a lot of theories about negotiation. We read a lot of the same resources and he was like, do you want to teach here? And I was like, sure. <laughs> and so that kind of evolved too, which gave me a brand new audience. So now all of a sudden, instead of the corporate folks that I was dealing with on a day-to-day basis, it was these people who were so young in their careers and they were at a crossroads. And I was meeting people from different cultures as well, because Shulik is a very multicultural school. So I had students who were coming from India and China and South America and downtown Toronto and all over the place. So I got to now connect with people in a new way. And they were challenging me on some of their negotiations in a new way. And at the end of the semester, they were forced to write a reflection paper for me where they would talk about who they were at the beginning of the semester and and what negotiations they were doing and what had changed 12 weeks later. And so people started sharing with me. I was using these skills at home to avoid an argument with my spouse, or I was using it to, you know, my, my job offer negotiation that was coming up or my roommate or whatever it was. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. Like it was just, that was fueling so much of what I was putting out in my keynotes all at the same time. And so many of those stories are actually featured in my book as well, because there's so such great success stories um, that with permission, I've shared a lot of them in that, that too. So I'm, I see it being put into action everywhere. And I've always led that. I just didn't realize that I was doing it. Um, but by having people kind of share those stories with me, I went, oh, I can see how it can work for you there and there and there and there. Um, and that it, it's been such a rewarding job to be able to see that. Okay, so I don't know if you remember this, but at the end of our podcast, we always ask for an action for you to do within 24 hours of listening to the podcast. And I asked you this question in 2019. And what you said was, um, just start negotiation on anything. You're like, call your cell phone provider, see if you can get a better deal. And while I I was actually staying in a hotel while I recorded that interview with you. And when we checked out, there was a big charge on there that I was not prepared for, um, a surprise charge. And I left the hotel 
And I didn't feel good about it. Like I didn't feel good about just letting it go. And because you told me to take action and negotiate, I actually called the hotel back and got them to take off half of the charge. So it totally works. You got me to embrace this idea of negotiation on a daily basis. Um, So I want to talk about like where that leads people to like, tell me some of the stories that of these transformations that have you that you've seen with these people who are just embracing it on a daily basis? Yeah, I mean, I have been in an I've been in a at a conference before where someone tapped me on the shoulder and said, Hey, I just wanted to let you know I saw you speak a year ago at such and such a conference, and I ended up negotiating a twenty thousand dollar pay increase and uh, and a, and a salary or a, a promotion, like a new title bump, because of that twenty minute talk that I heard you do. I heard another woman um, who told me because of I think some information I shared on Instagram, because now I'm sharing a lot more uh, live stuff there as well. She wrote to me and said she has a business. She's an entrepreneur who makes saris and all sorts of like Indian um, uh, things for weddings and stuff like that, custom outfits for weddings. And she was like, I realized I was underpaying myself. And so because of what you said, um, I have, I felt empowered to ask people to get what I deserve. And I increased my fees and I'm finally making money for the first time in three years. Like these are the stories that blow my mind that go these, this tiny little thing. One thing that they said has been life changing um, because you have an opportunity in front of you. You know, I get, I get a lot of stuff from students. I even, I get students who even tell me I turned down a job because of something I heard in our lectures. And I realized they weren't going to be the right culture for me, or they weren't going to treat me well, and so on. And I feel so good about it. And it opened the door for this other thing that came my way. So even in the, let's call them the failures of negotiation, the ones that didn't go well, there's always an opportunity there now too, when you can, when you have a new mindset to spot the opportunities. I think that's the key thing. And it's the same mindset you had when you spotted that hotel charge, right? So now it's like, oh, well, I can have a conversation about this and I can advocate for myself. And maybe that company doesn't have a job right now, but I can ask questions to find out what can we do? Um, Even students who tell me, I negotiated a job offer. They didn't have the budget right now, but I negotiated that in three months, we're going to do a review. And then six months later, they'll write to me and they go, hey, remember that review I told you about? It worked out. I have a higher salary. I have a better. They just needed to see me working. They needed to see me hit certain milestones. And because I asked better questions, this and this happened. But I think one of the most memorable ones that just came to mind was I was catching up with a client who um, had gone through one of my workshops and it was a few months later. And he said, you know, Fotini, ever since the workshop, I have a better relationship with my kids. And I was like, "Uh, okay. (laughs) I was like, tell me more because I didn't know what to say to that. And he said, ever since we talked about asking better questions, because that's a big piece of the workshop and the the content that that I preach. He said, I started applying it at home. And instead of going through the daily routine of how was your day? Fine. He said, I asked them better questions like what was your favorite part of the day or what was most challenging for you today? And as a result, they open up to me a lot more and I don't get exasperated having to chase them for information. And he said, we still negotiate because kids will be kids, but we have a better relationship now. We know each other better. And that has been life changing. So for me, it's like, wow, that is a brand new aspect when he told me that, that I hadn't 
thought about, like you can use negotiations to build better relationships. And that now has become a big piece of, of the book as well. Cause I started building on that when, when he started sharing that with me. So it comes up in all sorts of interesting ways. That's so interesting, especially because you don't know that you can ask for things. So I remember this hotel situation, my husband was with me and he's like, no, you can't ask to, that's not appropriate. He was like embarrassed that I was going to ask the hotel to negotiate this charge down. Right. He's like, don't do it all of that, right? Because we don't know that it's appropriate to, to, to ask for things. So because I, I and I love that you said mindset, right? So how do we start to like open up our mindset to even things that are up for negotiation? Because I think society has told us that a lot of things are not. Yeah, I, I mean, we absorb messages all the time. So it depends on who your role models are. I grew up in a big fat Greek family <laughs> where, you know, my dad was very much like the movie. If you've ever seen the, the movie or, you know, the reference, he was very strict, but he also was very patriarchal. And our culture that we grew up in, you know, if you went to the market in Greece, you were never paying anything at top dollar, you were always negotiating at the market. That was just part and parcel of the cultural norms. And so my dad used those cultural norms in Canada too. So that for me was a role model to go, oh, I guess I'm supposed to ask if I can get a better deal or how I can get a better deal. So that for me was was always part of my vernacular because it was what was modeled to me. Now, I will say that I never had female role models doing it, but I did spend a hell of a lot of time with my dad, which rubbed off on me. And when I started going into the MBA classroom, I had a ton of students on my wait list who said, I want to do it with her. I want to do it with someone who looks like me and who sounds like me and who has a funny name like me. And so we have to look at who our role models are. And I say this to, especially to the women in the audiences who may only seek advice from other women because they didn't, they didn't pay attention to what the big fat Greek dad was doing. They only had, you know, the mom and their aunt or the grandmother around who said, you know, only speak when spoken to. I ignored all that stuff because I had conflicting messages, right? I was a good little Greek girl who was not supposed to speak back to adults, but at the same time, I had this role model who was this loud, boisterous man. And I went, I'm gravitating more to that one than I am to the people who are telling me to be quiet. And so when I was in the corporate world, I was surrounded solely by men. I was the always the only female. I was always the youngest on the team uh, by far. And so again, I had those role models and I had to learn by process of elimination that what worked for them didn't work for me. I learned later why when I started researching and studying the subject of negotiation much more in depth, but I started to pay more attention to who my role models were. And so if you're only seeking out advice from the people who are exactly like you, then you're going to be limited in those examples that you seek. And so when it comes to, for example, even job offer negotiations, I remember being recruited into another company and the recruiter approached me. They had approached me three times to join this company. I said no the first two times. And the third time I was like, you know what? I heard somebody who is a mentor in the industry has moved over there. I'm keen to have a conversation with him. So yeah, I'll do the interview. I got through the interview process. I was still uncertain about it. I asked for another interview because I wanted to get a glimpse of, of the company from somebody else. And then the recruiter came back and they said, she said, we have an, they have an offer for you. They're really excited about it. I said, okay, go back and tell them that they need to do better, that this is the offer that I'm expecting. And she goes, oh, Fotini, I don't, I don't think you should do that. They might rescind the offer. And I said, and? <laughs> Whereas I don't think a male recruiter at that moment in time in my life, I don't think a male recruiter would have deterred me 
from doing that. So if we're only seeking out people who are like us, who are only stepping outside of the same level of comfort zone as us, then it's going to be really difficult to find those role models to find examples of what works for me and what doesn't. But if you're surrounding yourself with people who play it as safe as you do, then it's going to be really hard to stretch yourself. You know, one of one of the most interesting stories that I think shaped me was when I was in high school, I worked for a, a retailer. I was selling leather jackets at Danier, for those of you who still are familiar with it. This was a gazillion years ago because I feel ancient now. And I was 17 years old and my dad said to me, um, so next month I need you to quit your job. And I said, why? He said, because we're opening up our own leather and fur boutique in Niagara-on-the-Lake. And I said, what do you know about leather and fur? Because we came from the restaurant industry. That's uh, every day after school, I would go to whatever restaurant we had at that moment in time. I, we went from pizza to donuts to fish and chips. Like I know the food, the food industry inside and out. And so I said, what do you know about anything beyond food and fast food? He said, I know I have a smart kid. And so the pressure was on. It was sink or swim. It was like no pressure, just the family mortgage on the line. And so that's not to say it was all on me because my dad understood finances and going to the bank and getting that kind of stuff. But I understood product knowledge. I understood consumer behavior. I understood merchandising and how to do a window properly. Those are the things I had to teach my parents. And had my dad not said, you're going to do this, I have a smart kid. I, I never would have even imagined that was a possibility for me. So because I kind of got thrown off the deep end in that circumstance, when I was put into this role of you're going to negotiate with Walmart, I was like, okay, if someone thinks I can do it, I guess I could do it. And when I was in the consulting world where they said, you're going to go train the CEO of a massive oil and gas industry, I went, all right. So if someone has faith in me, then I'm going to assume I can do it too. Um, and I surrounded myself with these people who challenged me on a daily basis with these really interesting role models. But when you play it safe and that's all you have around you, that's as far as you're going to get to. I love that idea that you need to actually be around different styles of negotiation, different kinds of people so that you can watch them do it and learn what works for you. So thank you. Cause we, I always think of lack of role models, especially female role models being in like by position, but we need to look at it through all these different lenses. So thank you for bringing that up um, to me. Cause I think that's one of my biases, right? Is that we just, we look at the position, the title, but it's also like their style, what they're able to do, what they push you to do. So that's, that's really awesome. Um, I have a question about the book title. So it's called Say Less, Get More. Can you tell me, because I think it goes so much deeper than just a negotiation, like literally like it's a way of life. So tell me more about that, please. Yeah. So um, Adam Grant, ironically, was just posting about this last week. And for anybody who loves human behavior and psychology, he's he's a a huge mover and shaker in that world and a best-selling author. And he also mentioned exactly what I've been preaching for the last 10 years. So what I've been telling people is it's twofold, right? There's a literal and then there's the there's a figurative. What I want people to recognize is when you say less, it's like pressing your mental pause button. You're giving yourself a chance to breathe. You're giving yourself your brain a chance to catch up to what is going on around you. Because when we are facing stressful situations and negotiations are one of them, difficult conversations cause us stress. We have a human physiological response to stress where all rational thought leaves our brain and our palms start to get sweaty and our heart starts to beat a little bit faster and our breath starts to get a little bit more shallow and all that rational thought is gone. And you have those moments that make you go, oh God, why did I do that? Why didn't I say this? And that's when I go, before anything comes out of your mouth, press your mental pause button, take a meditative breath, take a deep breath and think. 
give the rational thought an opportunity to come back into your brain. And I guarantee you, you will be able to get a lot more out of the situation in front of you. You are going to be more measured in what comes out of your mouth. You are going to be more effective and more efficient with what comes out of your mouth. And you will avoid the danger of thinking and talking at the same time and talking yourself out of a deal. So it's both the get you the mentality of giving yourself permission to go, I need time to think this through and owning that moment. And it's also literally saying less because if you are thinking and talking and you're not giving somebody that airspace to be able to do any of the talking, they're not going to be able to give you valuable information that you need in order to be successful because knowledge is power. They're not going to be able to counter propose something to you. And you're going to be giving away all of this valuable information that could be to your own detriment. So it's about really taking the time to say less and get more in saying less to be more effective in what comes out of your mouth, but more importantly, getting your mindset straight first before you allow anything to come out of your mouth. So what can we do to get our head in the game for these types of conversations? Because it's great that you're saying this, but as soon as you get nervous, it's like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah. So there are really practical, simple things that you can do. And in fact, I'll take you down the science road for a second. Back in 2013, Harvard did a really interesting study where they made a whole bunch of people sing in front of a group. And apparently singing and grabbing a microphone is one of the, the thing that causes the most fear in people. I don't get it. I love a microphone. Give it to me and I'll go nuts in a karaoke bar. But I get that it can make others uncomfortable. So what happened was they told these people before they had to get in front of a group and sing journeys, don't stop believing. They put them in three groups and they had one group tell themselves, regardless of how they were feeling, they were told to tell themselves, I am anxious. Another group was told to tell themselves, I am excited. And the third group was told to say nothing at all. And what they found was those who described themselves as excited, according to a computer that measured their volume and pitch, volume and pitch outperformed the other two groups. And they not only outperformed them on that singing test, they also outperformed them on a speech test and a math test. They were perceived as more confident, more persuasive, and more persistent. So what that tells us is when you can take your mind out of a fear mindset and put it into an opportunity mindset, you can actually change your cognitive abilities. You can change your brain. So it could be something as simple as pausing to go, I'm excited. I'm excited to learn from this other person. I'm excited to show them what I've been working on for so long. I'm excited to show them what I'm made of. I'm excited to finally get this outcome that I've been working on for so long. All you have to do is tell yourself, I am excited, and you could get different results. Other things are things like meditative breaths, which can work to help calm your mind a lot as well. So you can breathe in for four, hold for six, and out for eight. Um, power poses are another great way to access your pause button. Dr. Amy Cuddy wrote a phenomenal book called Presence, and she had a viral TED talk about how, um, how I don't remember the exact title, but it was something about how um, power poses can change your brain or something to that effect. And what her studies showed us 
the undisputed part of her, her work told us that when people adopted a power pose for two minutes and a power pose you might be familiar with is something like the Wonder Woman pose. Or if you've ever crossed the finish line in a race, the first thing you want to do is put your hands up in the air in a V for Victor. Um, those are power poses that take up more physical space. So in the study, the undisputed part of the research was when people adopted a power pose for two minutes, they felt much more confident. And I just told you about a study that when you feel much more excited and more confident, you changed your brain. So a power pose gives you the opportunity to allow your brain to catch up to what your body is telling others. So there are ways to change your results, change the way you perform just by taking the time to access that pause button in the form of a breath or a power pose or a positive mantra or a visualization, any of those things that will get you into more into a more positive headspace. And what about when you're in the middle of a conversation? Is there something you can do if you find yourself going down that rabbit hole of negativity, kind of feeling like, oh, this negotiation or this conversation is not going how I want it to go, and you get yourself sucked into that negative headspace? How can you get yourself back out of it, into that curiosity, into that asking the questions, into the saying less? For me, one of the things I rely on most, and I keep going back to whenever people ask me questions, I'd say the biggest piece of advice beyond shut up (laughs) is, um, is ask questions. So if you feel like you're getting sucked into this negative space, it's pausing to go, what can we do to solve this problem together? What opportunities do we have ahead of us that can make this problem go away? How can we find a way to work together? How close can they get to my proposal? How close can I get to theirs? By just asking a question that is action oriented, and that's a how or what question, not a yes or a no question, right? It's not, can I do this? It's how can I do this? That is a way to psych yourself out of the negative and into the positive. So you can psych yourself up instead of psyching yourself out just by asking a question that's going to force you and the other person to reframe the situation. I love that because instead of can I get a promotion, it's how can I get a promotion? And then you both have to be creative to figure out how you can make it happen. I love that. Thank you. I have a question. I did a workshop two weeks ago for a group of women in construction. And the question came up, um, if I know I'm making less money than my male colleague, and they have the data, they've seen the reports, they know, um, what do I do? And I would love your take on this question, Fotiti. Yeah, it it pains me to hear people going through situations like that. And I have been in that exact situation. Um, And I am somebody who advocates doing something about it. I'm extremely assertive when it comes to tackling those things. Social justice is something that is near and dear to my heart and always has been. So if you know it is happening, the best way to do it is pause before you get defensive and, you know, you're going to get angry. So what can we do to take that energy and that emotion and channel it into something productive? So it's pausing to reframe your mindset to go, okay, I know there's an injustice here. I also know that there's an opportunity here. So how do I put myself in an opportunity mindset to go, what can we do to solve this problem together? And you're going to go and approach that person and go, hey, it's come to my attention that there is some distribution issues or there are some issues with uh, equality or equity at this organization. And it's really important to me to make sure that I am treated fairly because I know and I'm sure it must be important to you to make this sustainable for everybody. You need to make sure that first and foremost you are thinking about why should they want to rectify this with you? Not just because it's unfair, but it's because if it's unfair and someday you go, I'm going to go to somebody who is going to treat me fairly, that's going to be costly to them. So 
using the word sustainable for me is is a is an easy word to make sure they go that you're signaling you need to do something before I walk out without having to be threatening because I don't often recommend people making threats in scenarios that doesn't get you very far that is a last resort and even then sometimes I'm confident it doesn't work so when it comes to this stuff it's how do you make them want to do it for you? Hey, I know I'm going to be a more productive employee. I know I'm going to have a bigger spring in my step when I know I'm being, being treated fairly and equitably. It's come to my attention that that's not necessarily the case. Now you're going to ask those productive questions. What can we do to make sure that this is a fair and equitable workplace? What can we do to make sure that I feel like I'm bringing my best self to work and you're getting the most productivity out me? So out of me. So it's what is it that's in it for them? Think about that first and then structure your questions to make it the solution-oriented problem-solving opportunity instead of a, I'm angry and you didn't you need to make this right because that that's going to get them very defensive and you're probably not going to have as productive a conversation. I want you to be angry. I want you to have that emotion, but I want you to channel it into something that is going to be much more productive. That doesn't mean muting it and suppressing it. It's just going, hey, an issue has come to my attention. I'm going to turn this into an opportunity. What do we need to do to make this right? I love it how you say we, because instead of it's a me, right? It, I think yeah. everyone's instinct is to go to the me versus you, whereas you approach it with a we. How are we going to figure this out? Yeah, you need to make sure that they feel like they're part of the solution. Otherwise, they're not going to be accountable. And we also know from research on women in negotiation that quite frankly, as annoying as it is, it is in your interest to speak to the we in the collective instead of the I or the me, um, because it is perceived as more greedy and all of that kind of stuff. We shouldn't have to deal with that, but that is unfortunately our current reality. So the more weing you can do, the more beneficial it will be. Okay. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between advocating for yourself versus having somebody else advocate on your behalf? So um, studies show us that women are actually better at advocating for others than they are for themselves. Um, it's ironic because so much of the advice that I hear out there is no one's going to sell you better than you. I don't know that they were talking to women when they had that, when they came up with that mantra. Um, so I would say that when it comes to advocating for yourself, for women specifically, I will also tell them, think about it. How would you pitch this if you were talking about your best friend? or your daughter, or your mother, or your father, or anybody else important to you in your life? How much would you go to bat for them if you were pitching it for them? Now, if you have this idea of how hard you would be pushing, are you pushing the same amount for yourself? Why not? Or what can you do to make sure that you get there? It is very, it was, it's easier for someone to advocate for you in a way because they're going to be far more objective. They're not going to be as emotionally triggered by the responses that might come. And I get that, but you can make sure that you can mitigate some of that by preparing in advance. So if you know that it's going to be a difficult conversation, that you might get some resistance and all of that kind of stuff, prepare for that. You know, I have been in situations where, you know, I've gone deep into the heart of Texas and old white men have said to me, what are you going to teach me, little girl? And I've heard much more colorful things than that as well. I save those for sharing over cocktails, but I can anticipate some of that stuff. When I know that's coming my way, when I am expecting the misogyny and I'm expecting the discrimination or whatever it is, it's like, yep, exactly what I anticipated. 
I know how to handle this. I have a question in the back of my mind ready for this moment, or I have a response ready for this moment. And it takes some of the emotional trigger out of it. it it's a way for you to access your pause button if you've prepared to seek out that pause button in advance. I love that. Prepare the questions in advance because you know what's going to happen because we can anticipate so much of these conversations and just being, I love that idea of being prepared and having it ready. So I have one more question and it's about vulnerability because we hear a lot about being vulnerable in leadership. It's a big buzzword these days. How does you bring that up in negotiation without people learning things about you and then using it against you? So I'm so curious on the balance. So I prefer to use the word authentic than vulnerable. Um, not because I want to change the conversation, but because it's it's um, one of the things that I advocate is I want to make sure that people are coming with themselves, right? I could, they, people tell me all the time, could I just put a little bug in my ear and you can tell me what to say when I get in there? And it's like, yeah, that would be fun for me, but you're probably still going to fall flat on your face if you don't have the mindset right, right? I could tell you what to say, but if you're super nervous and you're not feeling like you deserve what you are going after, it's probably going to come out like verbal diarrhea and they're going to see right through it and they're going to go, you don't deserve what I'm giving you right now. So it's about having the mindset right first. And that, and that's the authenticity piece too. Cause I could also give you words to say, but if it's not part of your vernacular or not part of your vocabulary, it's going to sound really awkward coming out of you. So you need to find your version of what I'm telling you right now at all times. And so it's about being your authentic self. And what I found was when I could be a little bit more authentic, when I was authentic with my um, clients, I was getting much better results out of it. And so I had been given instruction once upon a time by a former employer where you need to go in there like you're better than them and that you're mysterious and, you know, all of this stuff. And I was, was like, I, that that's not going to fly. That might work coming from a six foot something tall white male, but it's not going to fly coming at a five foot five ethnic looking woman um, with a name that nobody can pronounce. So what I found was I could go in there confident knowing that I deserve to be there, but I was going to do it my way. And that meant that I was going to be polite instead of arrogant. I was going to be um, smiling when appropriate instead of this tough, cold, rude type of person that they're curious about. They're not going to be curious about a woman like who looks like that. They're going to be curious about somebody who looks really confident and yet is still approachable. And they're going to go, tell me more about her. They're going to be curious about somebody who can share, you know, certain experiences or drop certain names and still be somebody that they want to have a beer with after work. And so I could give them glimpses of, you know, my big fat Greek dad, for example, and still be quite professional in that moment. And when you are when that same parallel kind of draws to the vulnerability that you speak of that I think we think of more conventionally when it comes to being vulnerable, because being vulnerable means sharing something with the other party. And I'd like to share a little bit of my personality with people because that makes them want to seek me out because they go, there's something about her I like, and I'm attracted to that. And therefore I want to keep listening or have a conversation with her. When it comes to negotiation, you do need to share some information, but you also have to be measured about when and how you share it. So if you are buying a souvenir on a beach in Mexico, you're not going to share with somebody, Hey, I actually have $50 in my pocket. Feel free to to take me to the cleaners on this one. Um, that's not information that you want to share. 
you want to be more measured in those situations where you don't have a relationship, where you don't need to have a relationship, and there were, there's no real trust between you. But as the different types of negotiations shift, and now we start talking about things that are more collaborative, like job offer scenarios where I'm going to have to work with this person day in and day out, you might want to show them a little bit more of your personality and more and share a little bit more about you know why you might need more flexible work time and how you can be more productive with more flexible work time and so on and so forth. So it's about looking from from a perspective of going, what type of situation in this is this and what would be appropriate for me to share and what would be appropriate for me to hold back whilst the whole time you're staying true to your authenticity, because if you wouldn't authentically be that person who goes and bangs their fists on the table and says to that person on the beach in Mexico, no, you're going to have to give me this much, then they're going to laugh at you because that's still not consistent with there's something there's this weird dissonance that's happening for them. They go, I don't believe this person because we can see through that level of authenticity. So it's about marrying your authenticity at all times and then deciding, okay, how much of this am I going to be able to share with somebody based on my particular circumstances? I love that. So, and it, and it deepens the relationship too, right? Like once you've gone through like the first phase of the negotiation, like the job offer or like a contract or whatever, then you can go deeper with your authenticity after and you build that relationship. And the say less is so perfect because, right, it's like, okay, with all of my vulnerability, just going to start by saying less, right? Because you can always say more later. Whereas if you say yeah. more at the beginning, you can never take it back. Whereas <laughs> you can always say more later, right? <laughs> Yeah. There's no back button when you're talking live. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, okay. Thank you so much for this, Fotini. This is really incredible. So we always encourage people to take action within 24 hours and you've taught us a lot of things. Um, what is one thing that people can start doing today or tomorrow to just become better at saying less and getting more? Well, one of the easiest things that people can do is start asking better questions. So you can ask a how or a what question when you're facing a barrier of some kind, when you're in the middle of a stressful conversation, it's how can we work towards a solution? Or what do you think we can do to make this situation better? You know, think of how you can just ask a simple question. It's not a demanding thing. It's not an abrasive thing. It's very diplomatic. It's an easy way to dip your toe into finding negotiation opportunities for yourself. I love that. A how or a what question. Okay. Now, how do we get our hands on your book? Well, um, thank you for asking. It is available in almost every retailer. Um, certainly every major retailer has it on Amazon. You can find it in almost every country. Um, and it is going to start shipping and be on bookshelves in your local stores on April 20th, but you can pre-order right now. It'll be available on ebook and on audiobook as well, wherever you purchase your books. Amazing. And how do people connect with you if they want to follow you? Um, you can connect with me on Instagram. It's at Fotini Icon. I'm sharing lots of nuggets over there, especially these days. You can connect with me on LinkedIn, Fotini Iconomopolis there. And I have a website that I'm constantly trying to update, at, which is also FotiniIcon.com. Amazing. Thank you so much for round two on our podcast. I've learned so much and I cannot wait to dive into your book. I appreciate that. I can't wait to hear what you think of it. Hi there. Before you go, I was wondering if I could ask you a huge favor. Can you click on iTunes and give the podcast a five-star review and also a comment? This would mean the world to me. It also helps us to spread the word about the podcast and attract higher profile guests. We want to be able to deliver thought leadership around diversity inclusion 
every single week and having more reviews on iTunes will help us to do that and help us to keep the show going for free for you. So please head to iTunes right now, give us a five-star review and leave us a comment. Thanks so much. 